I want to help other people to be able to uncover those kinds of mystery things. Those and and I could have lived my life. I could have functioned maybe if I wasn't going into as as significant of a career that had a big demand on my time and morning time in particular. I might have been able to just function and and never find out what was going on. So I don't want other people to have to deal with and settle with excusing fatigue on that it's just the way things are, that it's aging, that it's normal. I want people to feel like there's an opportunity to uncover some things that the motivation won't just be you're so miserable that you have to go try to make a change. I, I hope the motivation is you're feeling okay, but you you know there's more possible. And like I hope this motivation changes to to seeing the potential versus to getting out of a really bad way. That I think that's part of what it's going to take on the individual's level to to start to transform because chronic disease isn't always like doesn't always put you out completely. It doesn't always make you feel even like anything's necessarily wrong, but you can like live with chronic disease and, and maybe that's fine for some people. Maybe that's their choice. I don't, yeah. I don't think people need necessarily, but I, I, I do hope that I do hope that for those who can tune into a possibility and potential in a better way and who want that, that they're, they're able to, to, to recognize that it, that is a legitimate possibility and that they can pursue that and put energy effort uh, into that and make that investment. And, and that that is a legitimate option. And I, I want people to know that that's an option and to be able to be clear that they can have the potential to feel great. Even if they just, even if they feel good, they can feel great. And I want people to understand that, that they can excel. You are listening to The Ultimate Biohack for Women, a movement of women who know what they want and go get it. You know the answers lie within. Reach in and grab hold. This is a movement, a movement of women who tune in and turn their selves on. Now you're biohacking the woman's way, integrating the art and science of hacking your biology like a woman. Tap your magic, conjure your yes, upgrade, elevate, maximize your potential. I'm Dr. Brandy Victory, and this is a movement, a movement that is sure to hack your soul. Before we get going, I want to let you know that we have a special this month in February of 2022. It's a micronutrient test package where we do the micronutrient test to look exactly at how your body's absorbing nutrients. So it's one thing to be taking supplements. It's a whole nother thing to know if you're absorbing them, right? Uh, we also uh, give you a nutrition analysis graph, which tells us how your organ systems are functioning based on your symptoms. And then we build a protocol for you based on the findings in all your labs. And then we have three consults over time that will help you make sure that all the things that you're doing are working for you. And see if you wanna take next steps from there, you can, but we're taking $300 off that package this month. So get in, that's a really freaking rocking deal. Um, let's go ahead and get you scheduled. There is a link below in the show notes to schedule a complimentary consultation so you can learn all about it. $300 off by before the end of February. Come and get it and get your year started right in alignment with what exactly your body needs to achieve super health. Oh!
awesome. Yay, ladies. Thank you. Welcome back to the Ultimate Biohack for Women. I'm Dr. Brandy Victory, your hostess, and I am excited to bring you Dr. Miles Nichols. He is one of my really best friends in the whole wide world and an amazing doctor. He's a functional medicine doctor who specializes in Lyme, mold illness, gut, thyroid, and autoimmunity. He uh, personally has struggled with chronic fatigue in his early 20s, and then he dedicated himself to figuring out the root causes of that dysfunction. He suffered with and recovered from thyroid dysfunction, autoimmunity, gut infection, Lyme, co-infections, and mold illness. And when you see this guy, you're going to be like, what? You're amazing, Miles. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Brandy. Awesome. Uh, Dr. Miles and Dr. Diane Mueller also co-authored How to Use Your Mind to Heal Your Mold and Lyme. And they also co-authored another book called Stress Resilience. They also founded the Medicine with Heart Functional Medicine Clinic in Colorado, as well as the Medicine with Heart Institute that trains other doctors in functional medicine. Dr. Miles has been featured speaker at national conferences, professional associations, podcasts, and summits. And so we're really blessed to have him here on our show today. Um, I'm just really excited to have this conversation with you in front of our audience, because we obviously have a lot of these conversations, and especially since I got sick, and you've helped me tremendously. But if we could just kind of start from the beginning, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story, about how you got sick, and what, what motivated you to, re to recovery. Yeah, yeah, I, I really, the moment that it was most apparent to me was when the fatigue was significant enough as in my early 20s that I was struggling to be able to get to classes on time. And, and it was to the point where I got called into the office of the principal at the school I was at. And she said, you know, I think you're great academically. You're going to excel doing work with patients, but you are struggling to be able to even make it through here because of just this morning class attendance. And I said, I know I'm trying my best. I'm sleeping as much as I can. I'm working to do different changes to try to make this happen. And I don't know why it's an issue. And she said, well, maybe I, there's some deeper medical problem. And I said, yeah, I think so. But I've been to a doctor. They've looked at everything they know to look for and they've said nothing is going on and maybe you're depressed <laughs> which I didn't feel depressed but I felt tired so uh, so she that moment inspired me because I I started to feel like am I going to lose my dreams over this am I going to not be able to be a practitioner to work with patients am I not going to be able to do the work that I love because of this chronic fatigue and it was getting to that point. And, and it was also, I was starting to go through these stories in my head of, of, do I have what it takes? And should I just resign? And, and despite the fact that I was doing well academically, I was thinking like, you know, should I, should I even try? Should I even go through this? Is there, maybe it is in my head. Maybe I am just just not having the willpower enough or not having the confidence enough to make this happen. And so the, I saw that in myself. I saw that thought pattern happening. And I thought, this is, this is silly. There's got to be something going on. 
And so I, in that moment, I really dedicated myself to, to I'm going to figure this out. Like there has to be something or multiple things going on that just aren't talked about, aren't discovered. And so I went to a sleep specialist to try to see if there was anything there, which it was interesting that one of the foremost sleep specialists did not find what I later found was fairly significant sleep apnea, <laughs> which was odd to me because I didn't snore. And it, that was all he was asking about for sleep apnea. But it's, it turns out a lot of people have sleep apnea, don't snore. But I, he did help. I mean, he did give me a diagnosis and that diagnosis was delayed circadian rhythm syndrome. But basically that diagnosis, all it meant was I like to go to sleep later and wake up later than other people. And it didn't really give me a cause. It didn't give a root cause. It sort of was, it's one of those diagnoses that explain symptoms. And those diagnoses frustrate me. So I, it, it satisfied the school to be like, I could work with me on the, the attendance thing and I got through, but I still didn't feel like it resolved my issue. Um, the strategies he gave me helped a little, but they weren't great. And I felt like I needed to figure it out on my own because I, and I was going to, I was going to all sorts of different practitioners, everyone I could think of. I was going to people, I was going to basically, you name a modality. I was probably going there, everything from energy healing to trying multiple different kinds of natural medicines to trying functional medicine, all sorts of things. And I was able to get benefit from a lot of it, but not not, not the level of benefit that I wanted. And so I decided to keep going, keep searching. Finally, I found, I found a mentor. I found some practices that really helped me in the meanwhile to transform some things inside. And then I figured out certain aspects of, like you mentioned earlier, that I did have uh, an autoimmune issue against cells in my stomach. I did have thyroid issue, despite the fact that it, I'd been told it was normal, it wasn't optimal, it was definitely suboptimal. And that led me to researching what are the connections. And then I had no digestive symptoms, but I started testing for gut dysfunction because of the connection with thyroid and found H. pylori, found parietal cell antibodies in my stomach, found a mold issue and figured out I was living in mold, got out of there, had chronic infection issues. And so it was a long journey to figure all that out. No single, unfortunately, practitioner had the, the, the big picture puzzle to help me, or at least that I had found at that time to help me. So I had to do it a lot of it myself, but that really inspired me to feel like I want to help shorten this process for other people because, and it took several renditions of going deeper with other root causes before I finally found a, a the collection of them that was a turnaround point to where I felt like I have my energy back. I, I'm able to get through the day before it was, I could sleep nine, 10 hours and still feel tired, struggle to get through the day. And now I can be sleep deprived and be fine. And I can sleep normal amounts of hours. And so it, it, it really, it took a while, but that shift happened to where I feel great now energy wise, and I want to help other people to be able to uncover those kinds of mystery things. Those, and, and I could have lived my life. I could have functioned maybe if I wasn't going into as 
as significant of a career that had a big demand on my time and morning time in particular, I might've been able to just function and, and never find out what was going on. So I don't want other people to have to deal with and settle with excusing fatigue on that it's just the way things are, that it's aging, that it's normal. I want people to feel like there's an opportunity to uncover some things. And that's really where I felt inspired to, to co-found the clinic with Dr. Diane about being able to help with, especially some of these mystery conditions or significant conditions or these diagnoses that are symptoms, collections of symptoms, but that aren't identifying the root cause. And, and we now have many of these symptom type diagnoses yeah. that are very prevalent in the world. And on, the unfortunate part of it is a lot of people end their search because they got that diagnosis. Right. Yeah. I, agree. I totally agree with you. I mean, even chronic fatigue, right? That's a diagnosis, but that's, you're just telling me what my symptom is. You're not telling me why I have it. And yeah. it's unfortunate. Um, even, you know, when I was in the throes of my mold COVID experience, um, I did go to medical doctors because I wanted to, I have insurance. I was like, well, let's go ahead and see what I can get out of my insurance, right? But it, it was really interesting, especially being on this side of the fence, for so long and, you know, having conversations with you and other colleagues of mine. And um, yeah, I just, I just really love the fact that you had a, the motivation to go look for yourself and that you recognize that and that you, you actually took it in your own hands to go do extra testing. I mean, you know, when you have a doctor who's supposed to know what they are doing, tell you everything is fine. Your thyroid is fine. Right. What, did, what else did you do? What, what did you go do to, to find out that it actually wasn't fine and the other doctor didn't know what he was talking about? Yeah, and a lot of it was I, I started reading all these articles, listening to these blah, podcasts, reading, reading as much as I could in the functional space. And, and people started to talk about things like the standard thyroid range is way too wide and it's based on 95% of the population. But the CDC says, at this point, I think it's six in 10 Americans have at least one chronic illness. So are you, how are you going to judge healthy based on 95% of the population when you're admitting that 60% of the population is ill and that there are these narrower ranges that are optimal function that, you know, a lot of people are just in that, in that TSH, that thyroid stimulating hormone of three, four, five and they just get ignored as if there's no problem there and I was in that I was above four and it was not said to be an issue so once I found out oh actually four is an issue then that led me to want to test deeper and look at all the research I could find to other connected issues that seem unrelated and especially from the conventional perspective of an endocrinologist treats the thyroid but a gastroenterologist is who treats the gut. And that connection isn't, isn't paid a lot of attention to. But when I read that most low thyroid is an autoimmune cause, even if you don't have antibodies to thyroid, which I tested antibodies and looked at free T3 and I didn't have antibodies, but I still assumed it could be a root cause. It could be a, an autoimmune cause because of what I was reading. And then I looked at H. pylori treatment lower thyroid antibodies. And I thought, well, maybe I should test for H. pylori. And I did one stool test and it was negative. And I did a second stool test three weeks later and it was positive. 
I thought, hmm, <laughs> this is interesting. And then treated H. pylori, found that, and it took me a while, but later I, I found out that a lot of people with H. pylori have parietal cell antibodies and 20 to 40% of thyroid dysfunction have parietal cell antibodies. And parietal cells are these cells in the stomach that make stomach acid. And they also make something called intrinsic factor, which metabolizes vitamin B12. And B12, of course, is a big role in energy. And I had taken B12, I had taken B vitamins. I thought, you know, that's not my problem. But then when I tested parietal cell antibodies and I found that those were elevated, and then I looked at intrinsic factor antibodies and those were elevated, my immune system was attacking those cells. It was probably creating stomach acid issues and the ability to metabolize B12. So even, even sublingual B12, I, I thought, oh, in theory, that should bypass some of it. But in practice, when I looked at the research on parietal cell antibodies, the only way to lower them in research reliably is with injectable B12. And so that led me to B12 injections, which made a massive difference in my energy level. And that was something that no one, I mean, that was like really far down my, a rabbit hole in my own research that no one had talked about. And it was really, really powerful and profound for me. And I thought with 20 to 40% of people with thyroid conditions having parietal cell antibodies, why isn't this routine? With 11% of the general population having these, why isn't it really commonplace? It's like a, even outside of insurance, it's not an expensive marker at all to test for. So the little things like that were, were part of my path to try to figure it out. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And just for our listeners, I just kind of want to break this down just a little bit. So uh, Dr. Miles was talking about his TSH was above a four. So if you go to your standard medical doctor today, their average value range on their TSH lab, which is thyroid stimulating hormone, it's what they typically test to, to figure out whether or not you have a thyroid imbalance. From a functional perspective, I don't know how many you do, but I would do like nine different tests, maybe 11 to look at like, how is the thyroid functioning to hear the story that the thyroid is telling us. If you're just looking at TSH, you're actually only looking at pituitary function at that point. Uh, the pituitary signals the thyroid to work. So it's a great thing to look at, but it's not the only thing. In the medical model, their value ranges are gonna be from typically 0. 0.4 to 4.0, at least where we live. And in the functional world, we're looking at something around 1.0 to 2.0. So even for him going to the medical doctor, if it was just outside four, they're not really going to think anything too bad about that because that's like the outside of their normal range. But what we have to realize is that when we go to a medical doctor, they're trained to look for gross disease process. That means you're already way down the road. And if you're a sensitive person or you're like aware of your body and really notice things happening in your body, it may be that you're noticing your body's just not in an optimized state. It's not in a gross disease state, but it's not in an optimized state. And I think optimization is where we're all trying to head, especially as we age. So I love that you did all that research. Plus a doctor, I've never heard of any other doctor doing parietal cell antibody tests. So... <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's one example of many things that are sort of like, there's research there, but it's not commonplace. And it takes a good 10, 20 years sometimes for the research to trickle into clinical practice. And so I really like seeking out some of that obscure 
research and those labs that have root cause testing that aren't done even in conventional, even in even in functional medicine. I at this point in in my clinical practice, a lot of people come who have been to four or five other functional doctors already. So there's sort of like they've already tested for the gut stuff and they've already tested for yeast and they've already tested for thyroid big panels and they've already tested for hormone function and they've looked at a lot. So I have to figure out, oh, what are these weird things that no one's tested for yet? And what what else might be going on? And, and it's not just the body either. There's also a pretty significant aspect of, of the mind and lifestyle practices that are very much not commonplace, but that can be very powerful and profound for, especially when combined with functional medicine, looking at labs root causes, uh, we can see that combining certain practices together with the physiology is really important. And then helping people understand, it's really amazing to me how many people come in with something like depression or anxiety and they say, they say, oh, that's a, that's a psychiatric or a psychological problem. And then my fatigue is why I'm coming in physically or my brain fog or my body pain or my fibromyalgia is why I'm coming in for the physiological side. And it's almost as if those aren't connected. It's in, in oh, the anxiety piece is like the mind side and the body is the pain. And it's like, they're two different things. And we have the whole psychological profession to deal with the mind side and the whole medical profession to deal with the, 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 the physical medicine perspective to deal with the physical side. And that, that whole thing is to me at this point, I really feel like it's very clear research linking depression and anxiety in many cases to chronic infections and mold exposure. We see the, the evidence was, it started very clearly in children who got strep, who overnight changed personality and all of a sudden they weren't doing well in school. They were getting angry and upset. They were getting in fights. They were starting to misbehave. It was like they were a different child over a period of a month or two after having gotten a strep infection. And, and, and at first it wasn't caught and it was just off to the psychiatrist, but later, some savvy researcher decided to observe this link and research it and found that strep as an infection looked a lot like the structure of it, looked a lot like the protein on dopamine receptors in the brain and tubulin receptors in the brain. And there was an autoimmune cross-reactivity trying, the immune system trying to attack the strep and actually attacks receptor sites in the brain for neurotransmitters. And then you have this neurochemistry imbalance because of an immune attack against an infection. And that was for so long completely ignored. And it was thought, oh, you're, you go to the psychiatrist only or the psychologist for anxiety, depression. And now the research has expanded to add, and I support going to the psychologist and psychiatrist, by the way, it's, but, but, but to also look at, could there be, uh, could there be a physiological root cause and vice versa, like when there's physiological issues like mold illness and Lyme disease, could there be some aspect of limbic system imbalance of vagus nerve dysregulation that if you work there, you can actually make changes over here. It's so connected. It, and, and the research on infection link with, neuro, with neurotransmitter dysregulation has expanded to include Lyme, mold, Epstein-Barr virus, and several other infections 
that can trigger that same cross reactivity, that autoimmune attack against neurotransmitters in the brain. So when I'm talking to someone and they say, oh, I was pretty, pretty good stress-wise into my 20s and you know, I didn't react a lot. I just handled stress okay. And then somewhere in my mid-20s, all of a sudden I was just, I was, I was irritable all the time. I was upset at my partner for reasons I couldn't understand. And, and I started to just not be able to handle even a small stress would set me off. To me, that, that's a very clear sign that there might've been an infection or toxin trigger mm -hmm. to an autoimmune cross-reactivity around that time that created that transformation in the neurochemistry. And when we treat the infection or the toxin accumulation, it calms that immune response against those receptor sites. And it's a part of how that process can heal. Now there's also very good utility to working directly with a counselor on the emotional side or doing brain retraining practices, limbic system practices, vagus nerve practices. And that helps also to shift some of the neurochemistry that's going on. And, and so at this point, I see it as a co-arising mind-body process. Like there's not one, your mind is over here and your body's over here. It's a co-arising mind-body process. And what's happening in the mind is feeding into what's happening in the body is feeding back into what's happening in the mind. And the lever that needs to be be the, the lever that's going to be most effective for one person might be more in some mindset practice and the lever for another person might be more in the physiology but for many people doing both really really helps to to, un, to to unravel things much more quickly yeah and yeah and hence why you would want to do your own specialized personalized testing because you need to find out where it is that you need your your personal support. I mean, you know, I, I talk a lot about how people willy nilly, whatever Dr. Oz says, oh, I'm going to get some vitamin D and some zinc and, you know, take that stuff. And a year and a half later, half of the bottle still in their shelf in the back of the cupboard. Right. And, you know, they really want change. I believe people really want change, but what we have to realize is that that change is going to come when we start to personalize our care to what our particular body needs. And you've just, you do such a beautiful job with that, with your patients. And, and, you know, I mean, Miles, honestly, you're like the, you know, everybody has that really smart friend. You're that for me. You're, you're like, oh my God, he's the really smart guy in my life. I love that. <laughs> Cause you're just like, you are so passionate about research and study and understanding things on the deepest levels, like everything that you get into, whether it's playing crystal bowls or, <laughs> or studying functional medicine, you know, it's like you go all in 100%. And I really appreciate that. I was hoping that you could talk a little bit more about, I think this, this piece around the autoimmunity to a brain, I, I think first, let me preface, I think it's important to understand just for our listeners who may not really understand, everybody has heard the term autoimmunity, but I'm not real sure everybody understands exactly what it's, what's happening, you know, yeah, the body's attacking itself. But when we start talking about autoimmunity to the brain, like what is the result of that in the future if you do nothing about it? Yeah. Yeah, so so autoimmunity means your your immune system's generating uh, generating a response against a protein structure, and that protein structure 
usually it is a pathogen. It is something you want to get rid of, but some of those look a lot like body tissue. So just so happens that the Lyme spirochete Borrelia burgdorferi looks a heck of a lot like thyroid tissue. And so, and, and they even, there's some papers that look at the protein structure and you can see how close that protein structure is between thyroid tissue and between Borrelia burgdorferi. So, and the same is true for Borrelia, Epstein-Barr, and Strep, and Bartonella, and a few others with dopamine receptors in the brain. So, so the immune system, it's trying to get rid of the infection, but the byproduct is sort of like you put the picture up, you know, at the police station of like, this is the enemy. And, you know, the person we're trying to arrest and, and someone just happens to look a heck of a lot like that person. So they, they keep getting arrested. They, so it's sort of like the immune system just inadvertently is attacking the wrong person. And, uh, that wrong person happens to be part of uh, oneself. And so uh, dopamine receptors, I mean, that's a very important thing in the brain because brain utilizes dopamine as a, is a neurotransmitter and that neurotransmitter acts on the brain to create drive and motivation. And, and it helps with regulating mood as well. And so when people are feeling lack of motivation, lack of drive, like they're not deriving pleasure from life and life experience. And maybe they're feeling depressed or sometimes anxious. It depends on which way that neurotransmitter imbalance is going. That could be dysregulation in a neurotransmitter like dopamine. And so long-term what happens is is the, the brain sets a new baseline. Once the more of those receptor sites are attacked over time, the less available that dopamine transmission and signaling is, you don't get that clear signal. So the thing that would have normally derived pleasure is no longer deriving pleasure. The thing that would have normally motivated you to go do more and be better isn't motivating it because you're not getting the response anymore. And dopamine is chronically dysregulated in our society already because a lot of advertising and media and the, a lot of a lot of life experience push it over over extends the dopamine pathways. The receptor sites are already oversaturated, and they're already often downregulating. And then you add attack against them, and it can really create a significant imbalance in a person's ability to, and then they wonder why they don't feel motivated and then they're not feeling motivated to do things about their health. And then it's a vicious cycle where people can fall into a passive resignation of this is just how things are and I'm not gonna do much anymore about them. I'm gonna just try to accept and live as I am. And I'm in full support of, of acceptance for what is as it is. And I think that's a really important part actually of treatment is to work on accepting and embracing what is as it is, but not at the expense mm. of taking action towards a better future and envisioning a future and being able to work towards a future enthusiastically and with passion. Like we need some of that, 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 that dopamine to be able to have that, that motivation to do that work. So accepting, accepting and embracing is important,
with the caveat that passive resignation is a whole different thing that can really get in the way and hesitation and, and, and getting stuck in comfort is probably one of the biggest obstacles to health of any. Mm. Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I thank you for that breakdown of the autoimmunity piece or against the brain. Um, you know, from my perspective and my mold experience, I'm just going to tell this little story, which you already know most of it. So um, I, and I haven't, honestly, I haven't talked a lot about it on the podcast. Like I figured when I found out I had it, I would kind of figure it out pretty quick, but it, it's not like that. <laughs> so I haven't like wrapped my head around it, figured it out, overcome it completely. And now I can talk about it, right? It's not, it hasn't happened like that. So for me, I'm in that place of acceptance too, right? Like, okay, this is how it is. And I also know that I'm going to get through this. Like I have no doubt whatsoever. And the thing is, what I notice most is, is what I really want to drive home, like with a baseball bat right now is that I didn't know I had mold until I got COVID and became a long hauler. And for me to become a long hauler, that's like, that's the craziest thing in the whole world because beyond you and our little circle of friends, like I'm the healthiest person I know. Like I take really good care of myself. Why would I get even get sick, very sick and then become a long hauler, right? And so to find out that there was an underlying mold issue, which I, I guess after talking to you and, and many other practitioners who've seen long haulers, it appears that, people who have long haulers have something underlying that problem. And that's why their body can't rid, get rid of the COVID. And you, you can go deeper into this and in, in, in your explanation of it, because you probably know way more than I do here. Um, but then I got COVID, I became a long hauler, found out I had mold. And two years prior, we had mold in our house and had to have a huge backside of our house taken off, mold remediation, the whole thing. Now, at the time, I didn't think anything about it. Honestly, I, I've lived on the Galveston coast. I've lived on the West coast. There's been mold in my environment all of my life. Why would it be any different now, right? And so I never really considered that it was causing me any effect. And then I got COVID, became the long hauler, found the mold. You helped me start treating it. And I found my way back from, from, from having like fibromyalgic pain in my body on a level of seven to eight, many, many days of the week to, and, and chronic fatigue where I could barely like you get like, I'm like, okay, I've got an appointment at 11, get up at 1030 and get through your one appointment today. Like that was how bad my chronic fatigue was complete headaches every single day. Like, I mean, it was just, it, the, this, it was a terrible place to be. And then as we figured out what was going on and treated the cause, I got myself back to a place where I was in the gym five days a week. I had energy. I could work 12 and 14 hour days, multiple days in a row and not need any time off like that because I loved it. I want to do that. I love being in that place. And in the past, it was very inaccessible. But I, and, unless I would have, I, I got COVID. If I had never gotten COVID, I'd have never known. And I found that by treating the mold, that I actually, the mold was a problem for me, unbeknownst to me, uh, slowly deteriorating my life over time pre-COVID, like slowly deteriorate, like, oh, I'd forget words, or uh, my brain wasn't working exactly right, or 
I just didn't feel motivated or inspired or like my life, it was ups and downs of this stuff. And I was just like, gosh, is this real? Like, is it because I'm getting older, you know? But now after we've been through this process, I'm seeing, and I still have a ways to go, I get it. But I'm seeing the huge impact that underlying root cause disease processes can have on our bodies, our physiology, our mind, our, our life, our jobs, our relationships. And so often, I believe so often, you may have stats on this, but I believe so often these underlying root, root issues are going on under, under the surface for lots of people and they don't even know it. They're just chalking it up to aging. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just that CDC statistic that's six in 10 Americans have at least one chronic disease, four in 10, two or more, that's the CDC. So the, the estimates are conservative. And when you think about what about all the undiagnosed chronic illness and what about the illness that's not even recognized by the conventional system as illness, what about all those subclinical thyroid issues? What about all those things that are considered to be normal, but that people are struggling, they aren't feeling right. And I, it's, at this point, I just really feel like if someone feels like they're off inside, no matter what a doctor tells them, if, if their blood is normal, that just doesn't matter much at all. I mean, it, it matters that, that you don't have one of the abnormalities that would be identified, but it, it doesn't mean you don't have something that could be identified, that could be successfully treated. And, and I know it can be exhausting to look and search and go through an experience after experience after experience and not get full results. But I feel that there's absolutely the potential for people to feel enormously better than they accept and allow for themselves to feel most of the time. And I think I see so many people dealing with what very clearly to me is something that could become much different if there were some effort put in that they simply just take to be the way things are. And, and that, that's a dangerous mindset is, is the way things are. And it's, it feeds back into comfort and hesitation because it is so one of the biggest things to, for a person to get out of comfort. Like comfort is one of the biggest motivators. And I think this boils back to identity because how, how do we create our own identity in our mind? Like, how does the mind solidify an identity as a child? We don't yet have that identity. And how does that identity get solidified through the development? I actually, I study a lot of developmental psychology because I'm fascinated by how does, how does the mind start to decide who I am and what does that mean for behaviors and the way behaviors form and shape and change over time and how does that relate to neuroplasticity and neuropsychology and science and what does that mean for behavior change later in life and a lot of it to me at this point boils down to that the identity is rooted primarily in past experience like who I am is if I look at the past and I see who I've been, that's who I am. That's, that's actually subconscious. It's not like I'm consciously thinking like, oh, who I am is the sum total of the past several years of my life that I'm adding up and I'm making a judgment. It's, it happens subconsciously, but the mind compares subconsciously self to past experience. And if my past experience is 
that I have, for example, if I were a smoker who smoked cigarettes every day for the past seven years, then identity is I am a smoker. But that's not necessarily true because people quit and that's not who they are anymore. But until they make that decision and that flip, that switch in their mind, the assumption from the mind is who I am is this. And it happens with disease process too. Who I am is a person who's chronically fatigued. And, and then there, it, it becomes comfortable at some point, not comfortable from the perspective of it's painful and it's not desirable, but comfortable from the perspective of the mind has solidified in that as part of the identity. And if that's a part of the identity, it can be extremely difficult for a person to dislodge that. Just like it can be extremely difficult to, to kick an addiction or to cut something. I think people understand addiction a little better, but, but comfort is like that. The, the identity forms so solidly around who I am as who I've been that change becomes very difficult unless people recognize that who I am in part is influenced by who I've been, but there's absolutely a flexibility, a dynamic potential right now to be something different than I was yesterday. And that's not easy for people to, it's easy to, it's easy to conceptualize like, oh yeah, sure, I'd, I'd like to do that. But when it comes to actually like feeling that internally and the physiology responding that way. And part of it is the physiology, like someone who's been exposed to mold starts to feel that their environment is unsafe. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a part of the identity is I am the kind of person who can't travel very easily, who has to be always watching for any kind of a sign of a sick building. And I'm the kind of person who can't do this and that. And, and it just changes that identity structure. And part of, part of the treatment is getting the toxin out of the body, doing the physiological changes, restoring the brain function, restoring the nervous system, restoring the endocrine system, getting everything functioning, the hormones functioning. That's a big part of it. But there's also this part of, we need to, to, to you, you become comfortable. Like, I don't want to sound a little, I don't want to sound too overly because it's not, it's not, it's not really a choice. You didn't have a choice in it, but, but your physiology has changed in a way that it's become comfortable in a sense with being unsafe in the world. And, and that has to, it takes a little bit of, we do brain retraining practices to help people to, to calm that limbic response. And again, it's, it's below conscious activity. It's just a feeling. So we need to, we need to take that do brain retraining exercises to train that limbic system to calm and to be able to re-imprint a new resource state into being in the world because the world is a moldy world. One in two American homes are water damaged. That's just a reality. So we have to be able to ideally feel safe in the world. That doesn't mean we weren't that doesn't mean you, you, you go sleep in a moldy place, but it just, it means that you don't feel unsafe because you're in a world that's moldy and that together with the treatment can build what we call a resilience. And that resilience can lead to, oh, now you can actually tolerate a reasonable level of mold again, 
but that that's a hard thing once the identity gets imprinted and that comfort gets not consciously but subconsciously embedded into the body and it takes a little bit of effort to re to, to just dislodge and loosen that up enough to say okay I'm committed to feeling safe in the world and I and, and I'm doing the work that's needed in order to imprint my body in a new way so that it can have that experience. And that's not an easy thing, but it's a very necessary thing for, it's a missing piece that a lot of people don't get to in the treatment process when they're just focused on the physical side of treatment. And I think it's a really important part for people to recognize. So comfort and identity, I think are a huge part of the problem. I love that. Yeah. You know me, I'm all about mind body medicine. It's like so essential, so essential. And I get that, um, now, you know, that whole, oh my gosh, I can't travel like what, you know, or I go somewhere and I'm like, am I going to be able to stay here? Or am I going to have to sleep in my car? Like it, it's a real thing that happens. And, uh, I, I feel for people who have it worse than I do, because I don't think I have a very bad case of it considering what I've, all I've heard out there, but this, this recovery process, I, I believe you're using peptides in this process as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can you absolutely. talk a little bit about that? That's kind of the most new and innovative thing, uh, that has, has me excited in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Peptides are, Peptides are basically a, an amino acid structure that signal the body to perform certain actions. It's, it's a little bit like a hormone. It's not, it's not technically a hormone, but hormones are these, these molecules that, that signal the body, attached to receptors in the body, and they signal the body to do all these things like testosterone attaches to receptors and signals the body to do certain activities and to to build muscle and to do certain things and and the peptides are are a little different because some peptides are are going to stimulate the production of hormones they're almost like a a whole different class of compounds that are that are endogenous to the body so it's not like a, it's not it's not a completely foreign chemical to the body it's a structure that the body would see and or produce. So for example, alpha thymosin one is a peptide that's used for immune function and the thymus gland, it's, it's part of the complex of things that the thymus gland produced at least at one point in the body. Sometimes the thymus gland stops producing as people get older, but it, it, it's part of, it's a structure that the body knows. And it's, it's something that's like, like hormones are produced by the body, it's something that the body produces. So peptides, and the best known peptide, the most famous is insulin. Insulin is a peptide. And of course, people know insulin from diabetes and type one diabetics stop making it, and then you have to give it externally. And then there's lots of talk of how people become diabetic and insulin resistance. And so insulin gets a big play in the world right now. Um, but other peptides really have been largely unknown to medicine until fairly recently. They haven't been utilized in medicine. But now we're seeing that, oh, we can give growth hormone releasing peptide that can stimulate the brain to signal it to release more growth hormone and have some of the benefits of growth hormone that start to decline with aging. We can have a peptide that is 
a peptide that's focused on restoring brain function in people who have been exposed to mold. So there was a, a trial where it was an fMRI imaging of the brain, and it looked at areas of the brain that get damaged with mold exposure. It measured the levels of damage to those areas of the brain. It applied this peptide as a nasal spray for six months and then retested that fMRI and found full recovery, full restoration, even of the gray matter in the brain, physiological gray matter in the brain for all those areas that had been damaged by the exposure to mold toxin, which is amazing to see something can do that. And amazing. <laughs> I can't wait but, to start it. I haven't started that part yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there's a peptide nasal spray that's used with mold treatment specifically. It's very, very helpful to restore that brain function, but it also restores a hormone function that's a hormone that's anti-inflammatory neuroprotective called melanocyte stimulating hormone or MSH for short. And that it's anti-inflammatory and it's neuroprotective, it's, it's brain protective. And, and, and we also find that VIP restores some of the pituitary function. So the hormone structure in the body improves dramatically. So we see hormone production improving. So it, it repairs the brain hormone system. And, and sometimes the fatigue aspect associated with mold gets dramatically better in that last phase of, of, of peptide treatment. So when it comes to mold, VIP nasal spray is one of the peptides that we use frequently. And then we also use a lot of BPC-157, which is a peptide that can be taken orally. So a lot of peptides have to be injected. Some can be used with nasal spray. Um, occasionally, a couple of peptides have been shown to have activity orally. And BPC-157 is one that has been shown to have activity orally, which is nice. So you can take a capsule of it. And the encapsulated form of BPC-157, that peptide stimulates tissue repair. So we see a lot of ability to systemically repair tissue. It can be local to the gut when you take it orally, but it also gets into the blood and it, it's used post-surgery for some studies, at least animal studies. Mostly these are not very far along in human trials, but in animal studies, they see benefit to like the heart muscle post-surgery and they, they see that it crosses the blood-brain barrier. So there may be some brain repair potential associated with BPC-157 as well. And, and then there's a whole host and variety of other peptides, but those are some of the most relevant ones and the common ones we use in the clinic. Mm, love that. Love that. Yeah. I, I, I have, because of you started using the peptides and just find them to be like, so extraordinary to my life. I'm, I'm, I can't wait till I can learn more and more about them because it's, uh, it's, it's made a huge impact and, and I don't imagine recovery without them. Yeah. 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 yeah it really helps, especially with that repair phase of recovery. I bet. I bet. I mean, I've done the BPCC 157. I could tell the huge difference in my gut and, and I felt like brighter in my brain. So I don't know if it was, it was that or what, cause I've done so many things, but uh, the thing is the, the, the bottom line is that there's so many options and there's so many things that people like yourself are exploring as doctors to help patients re in recovery. And, and it, it's just so far advanced. And my hope is, I'm sure, I know this is hope, true for you too, but my hope is that like, 
one day this becomes what medicine is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This it needs is it. to. Yeah. It, it not only not only do I hope it does, it has to because if it doesn't, I mean the trends are unfortunately really pretty bad in terms of chronic disease. The rate it's increasing, the expenditures—it's trillions of dollars a year just on managing chronic disease, not reversing it, not <laughs> like yeah. actually solving the issue. The issue is growing and getting worse. And I mean, it's it's to the point where if the trends continue, I I worry about the economics of how it's even feasible to manage chronic disease anymore in 10, 20 years. It's it's just, I mean, it's going to bankrupt the economy if there's not some headway on how do we actually reverse some of this how do we reverse this chronic disease epidemic because you know the trillions of dollars a year is going up you know in the u.s it's the expenditures equal out to about a hundred thousand dollars per per man woman child per per person it's the expenditures when you look at healthcare expenditures are about a hundred thousand dollars per person per year to wow. really do amazing things when it comes to you know, life-saving interventions and surgical procedures and, and a lot of stuff that used to be big killers like pneumonia and tuberculosis and things like that, they aren't big killers anymore. So there's great, great progress there. But the chronic disease piece is just getting worse and worse and worse. And autoimmunity is on the rise and diabetes is on the rise and these infectious diseases are on the rise. And and Lyme is one of the fastest infectious disease, in fa fastest growing infectious diseases it's coast to coast. And we see, unfortunately, that part of the puzzle being, uh, I mean, pharmaceutical companies profit off of managing it and giving a pill for the rest of the life, their life. And it's the financial incentive isn't there to reverse these chronic diseases. And so it's very, it's it, it's not being the, the research isn't being funded in a way that really is needed in order to come to a place that's going to save our economy so i'm i'm fairly worried about the future in terms of medicine if we don't put more attention into resolving these chronic health issues and i'm hopeful that we will that, that, that it will change and that there will be more attention because at some point the economics are going to get so bad that people are going to start to realize and in, in, in even these systems that are, that are dysfunctional are going to start to realize that it's unsustainable and untenable to continue in this direction. So I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I'll, I'll make this real quick. I, I, um, I'm doing IV therapy. And I go every month, sometimes every couple of weeks and get an IV with high dose glutathione, vitamin C, all the things, right? And um, over time, I've been doing this for a long time. And over time, I've been noticing like the types of people who are coming in there used to, in the beginning, I was noticing it was kind of like uh, maybe yoga teachers or, you know, scientists or, you know, athletes. Those were the kind of people who were in there. And then now I just went like, last week and uh, this guy was in there and he looked like if I had to like guess, he probably had diabetes at some point. He's trying to lose weight. Uh, he has red complexion, some inflammation going on in his body, but he was literally doing an uh, NAD drip and he's been doing them for six months and it's changed his life and he's taking supplements and he says, yeah, I take new chapter, this and that, you know, but even though it's like something you can get at Walgreens, he's, he's thinking about it, right? That's your average American 
American who is thinking about like taking these things proactively to help with their longevity. And I just think it's so beautiful. So this conversation that we're having and the, the conversations that we have in the world are just so powerful because they drip into the consciousness in a really deep way. Yeah, and I, it's my hope that people will, that there will be a transformed motivational, that the motivation won't just be, you're so miserable that you have to go try to make a change. I, I hope the motivation is, you're feeling okay, but you, you know there's more possible. And like, I hope this motivation changes to, to seeing the potential versus to getting out of a really bad way. That, I think that's part of what it's gonna take on the individual's level to, to start to transform because chronic disease isn't always like, doesn't always put you out completely. It doesn't always make you feel even like anything's necessarily wrong, but you can like live with chronic disease and, and maybe that's fine for some people. Maybe that's their choice. I don't, yeah. I don't think people need necessarily, but I, I, I do hope that I do hope that for those who can tune into a possibility and potential in a better way and who want that, that they're, they're able to, to, to recognize that it, that is a legitimate possibility and that they can pursue that and put energy effort uh, into that and make that investment and, and that that is a legitimate option. And that I, I want people to know that that's an option and to be able to be clear that they can have the potential to feel great, even if they just, even if they feel good, they can feel great. And I want people to understand that, that they can excel. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. I'm with you on that. Awesome. So we're, we're closing our hour. I was just wondering if you wanted to say something about your book, How to Use Your Mind to Heal Your Mold and Lime. Yeah, so wrote a book um, together with Dr. Diane, How to Use Your Mind, Heal Your Mold and Lime. The reason we chose that title is just because it seems like there are not enough, there's a lot of approaches that talk about you know, microbial therapies and certain other things. And I really wanted to, to we, we really wanted to address that, you know, it's a mind-body approach. We don't ignore the body at all. You still do antimicrobials and other things, but um, but you don't need to rely exclusively on that. And a whole body, a whole body, holistic body plus mind approach is really um, the most effective that we've found in our clinical practice. And, and to add things like brain retraining practices, limbic system practices, vagal nerve practices, breath work, specific breath techniques, together with supplementation, antimicrobials, looking at immune function, addressing gut dysfunction, addressing methylation issues, addressing toxin and mold if present, all that stuff, the two together have such a profound impact. And we see a lot of people in our practice who they're doing, they've done lab work, they've done supplementation, they've done a lot with nutrition, but they haven't implemented regular research-based breath techniques every day. And brain retraining practices and some of these other aspects that, you know, are, are, are not that hard to do, but you have to train, you have to learn, you have to know which ones to do and what, which ones are researched and how, which ones will be effective for you personally. And so the book is looking to educate people about that and some of those options and, and, and to look at the functional medicine approach too. So we do talk about protocol supplementation. We, we talk about that side and we talk about testing and, and diagnosis and we talk about 
um, some of the associated conditions, and we talk about the mind side of things. So use your mind to heal your mold and mind. It's available on Amazon and other places that you would expect for, um, Amazon's probably the easiest for people. And then and then uh, people can find us at the clinic to medicinewithheart.com. So anyone who wants to find out more about the clinic, we do offer sessions nationwide. So people can um, contact the clinic and inquire and chat with our staff and schedule a complimentary discovery call with staff to see if there's anything we can do to help on that front. And then for practitioners, we have an institute at mindbodyfunctionalmedicine.com that trains in how to work with some of these complex chronic conditions using a functional medicine and mind-body-based approach. Yes, thank you so much. And I will put all those links in the show notes below. So go click around and go learn some good stuff. Thank you so much for being here. It's always such a pleasure to have you in my space and to have conversations with you. You really like lighten my spirit every single time. So, and I know you extend that to all your patients as well. So I'm, I'm just feel really blessed to know you and have you in my life, Miles uh, or Dr. Miles. And uh, thank you for being on the show. You're so welcome. And thank you for doing the work that you're doing. It's very important. I appreciate you. Awesome. See you soon. Take care. If this stuff sounds really exciting to you, you're like, oh, I would love to have a micronutrient test, but it's probably so expensive. It's probably your conversation. I've actually got a special through the end of the month where there's a micronutrient test. You get three consults. I build your protocol and you get a nutrition analysis graph that tells us how your organ systems are functioning based on your symptoms. And we have $300 off. But you got to get on in on it by the end of February of 2022. Um, happy to support you in that. I, the micronutrient test is especially here at spring at the, like the start of the year. It's it's really good just to kick off your your super health. I am a thriver uh, mentality, and uh, I would be happy to help you with that. So you can reach out to us. All the links are below in your show notes. And I hope this was uh, helpful for you. And I look forward to our next conversation. Much love. Thank you for listening to the ultimate biohack for women. If you'd like to dive deeper with our tribe, join us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you'd like to help grow our tribe, share this episode with your friends. Let's bring this light to our community so that other women can know their true power and we can create a tribe together worth being in. This podcast is for information purposes only. Dr. Brandy Victory is not a medical doctor, and the views and statements expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Dr. Brandy Victory and the producers, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.